Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking soybean cyst nematode. In our spotlight, we'll take a look at root-activated phosphate fertilizer. Egg History Minute, we'll talk the story of the IH-1086. Have some cool beans, that's corny, and some current events, and we'll wrap things up with a feel-good Friday. With me today are Bill Schaumburg. Hey, guys. Todd Schaumburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. Last night was the NFL kickoff. We are now officially in season for the 2023 NFL series, season, whatever you may call it. I don't know. Football's back, baby. It's back. And the Lions off to a winning start for the season as they beat the Kansas City Chiefs in a nail biter last night. It was one point different, twenty to twenty one. I didn't get a chance to see the game, so I'm not sure get, where that one point difference came in, but I got to watch it with our resident uh Lions fan and it was it was a lot of fun because it's fun to watch with people that care like in Lions I'm very mad about. I don't hate the lions i don't like for being a division foe it's they're not the bears or the vikings and maybe it's because they're just always were that bad so you it's, really it's like one every once every decade so, they actually pose a threat right and then after that right. they're i'm yeah. actually thinking that he may ask you to watch every lions game oh i got it right now right. yeah because yeah, well, it's two in a row now you're right we went to the packer game yeah, last, right. last winter yes you're right and stood next to him and while the lions beat us yep. yes yeah and now you said you're right him last night you're right and i kept saying like basically the one point difference came because the chiefs kicked two field goals kind of towards the end instead of you they know couldn't finish drives. basically and i said oh yeah field goals don't win games yep. field goals don't win games <laughs> and yeah it ended they, up both field teams though did not want to win it at the end they made some Go, it, go for it on fourth down. But I think that is the new NFL now. Yeah. Like this, you know, all gas, no break. Like we're doing everything to win, all that kind of thing. And it'll be interesting when that actually does catch up with these coaches, the the being so aggressive part. Because, yeah, they were both. I mean, they he did a fake punt on his own, like, 30-yard line or something. The Lions did earlier in the game. They scored a touchdown after that, which paid off a lot. But, right. they, yeah, they are... They're pulling out stops, which makes it more fun to watch. Normally, it works more like Mike McCarthy at the Cowboys when he tries to go for stuff like that, and then it just blows up in his yes, face. Right. Ezekiel yeah. Elliott right. gets hammered. Right. Right. <laughs> and not drinking. He just gets just blasted. Blasted, yeah. yeah. The Chiefs also you know, didn't have their best wide receiver tight end, so obviously that matters. And the Kadarius Tony, who is drafted on one of my fantasy teams and now makes me, he didn't I didn't have him playing but he's got like brick hands so bad like oh, the meme sure going around like where it shows there's a meme going around where it basically the ball is right going to go into his hands he's in good position there's no there's one lion way behind him and then it's like this is going to be a pick 6 and yeah basically and bounces off his hands goes <laughs> over his head lions pick 6, pick six so they yeah they didn't they did not help Patrick Mahomes either at all like and he he's he's unbelievable like if that were Rodgers or Brady like they'd be like there was a couple later hits that he just got up and ran off and there was his wide receivers like that if that were Rodgers and that wide receiver missed that he would not throw to him again in the game yeah, he right. threw to him again in the game and he, he had more it, drops but, than yards right right it was insane how many <laughs> that's a great that, stat yeah more drops than yards. Yeah, it was it was pretty the the wide receiver group they had there is pretty rough. So yeah, well, he was supposed to be like a big big pickup last because they picked him up I think toward the end of the season, like right before the the trade deadline or something. And he was with the Giants. Yeah, yeah. And they dropped him. They dropped him. I think it was a health related issue or something, and Kansas City picked him up. Got it. I think it could have been because he's not that good. It also could yes. Must be because he has brick hands. Yes, he he's, had, he's a Lego figure. Apparently, he had one receiving yard, and I'm guessing he had more drops than one. He had four drops. So yes. <laughs> How do you? That's impressive that he could manage to get only one receiving yard. Like 
he must have just caught it right at the line of scrimmage, took a step, and got hit. That's about all the only way I think you could get one receiving yard. Weirder things have happened, huh? Yeah. Do you like the Thursday night like kickoff game like that, or should it just all be a start on Sunday? It wasn't always like that? No. Oh. No, usually they started on Sunday, Sunday. the first game. Right, and then the first Thursday night game would be they the started week do, I don't know how long ago, but they started doing like the Super Bowl winner gets a home game to start the season, and then they just pick a rando team against them. No, I thought it was good. Yeah, it was good. Did you watch it on Amazon Prime? or did No, you this was on, on NBC. NBC yeah. Yeah. It's so hard now to know what it's on. Like, yes, right. My son was trying to go through it. He's like, what's it on? I'm like, I have no idea. Just keep looking. And he ended up not finding it. Yeah, because didn't, didn't Fox have it last year? Or who had Thursday night last year? I, but it varied because it was NFL Network a little while, Amazon right. a Certain little while. Games, right. If, but they right. Were, if they it started with Fox. As far as over the air. Right. Te- television network, it was Fox, and now it's back to NBC. <clears throat> I think NBC started with the Thursday night games, or not? I don't know. I can't even remember. Well, and even the NFC AFC thing, like the, I think this week the Vikings play on CBS or the the Fox. I should say the Fox CBS thing, where usually Fox had the NFC and. CBS, CBS at AFC. AFC. Like yep. now, CBS gets some NFC games, and it's very confusing. It's all whatever the commissioner wants. Well, it's all about the money too, right. which is hard. But it's been—it's still good to have football back. It's, yeah, and it'll be interesting this weekend what the Packers are playing or. Right. Rival the the Bears. Uh, I don't know. We I didn't even be, know what like could be down one to two receivers, which is not great. No, no, we don't even really know what this team is yet at all. Right. Like yeah, the, at all, the Bears fans have the Bears winning the Super Bowl. So done deal. <laughs> they just yeah they think that this is the year. Well, let's see. They they won in eighty was eighty five Bears. 85, yeah, that's it. So hasn't. They were good with when they had like Devin Hester. They were in the Super Bowl that one time. They probably got like two more years before their oh, yeah. like the thirtieth anniversary or whatever. Yeah, eighty five. Maybe they'll get back in. It, the great, it took be, the Cubs a hundred years right. or over a hundred years to be great. If um, Jordan Love outplays Justin Fields, though, it's oh yeah, not really that hard of a benchmark. No, though. it's not. <laughs> and really, Fields, all he can do is run anyway. So. Which we're it's never even, good at that right. at all. Our defenses traditionally cannot stop that, so hopefully they got well, a game plan for that. If we've got, um, what's his name back? Rashad Gary, that'll be a big yep. big help to the yep. run, run defense. Yep. Yeah, it's all a question of who's healthy, and I mean, it is going to be a whole new season, so we'll see how things start. But You ready for... Badger football, Bill. You think we can yeah. have a redemption game and beat the 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 Cougars yes. of Washington State? Washington State. Yeah, I think they kind of well. because that shocked us last year, losing to them, and yep. with the new coach this year. I think that was kind of the start. It was of the end for Paul Chris. Yep. So the end was be, the end was Brett Bielma coming in and true, trounc- yeah, trouncing them. That was yep. the end, but, but the Washington was the start of the yeah. Washington State was start. They kind of looked meh in the opener. Like, they did well. Like, they still won by two. They're calling this, like, air raid offense where they're going to, I'm assuming that means pass it a lot. Yeah, And it basically looked like they still ran it a lot, and maybe that's because the tool, you know, obviously we have the in the toolbox and a lot of our players are more of a run team. But, yeah, it just still seemed like we were a very good running team. But they'll get the passing figured out. You don't have... 47,000 guys in the box. Right. They spread them out and which which like you say old school badger fo- you know football was I formation just, just, and then they packed the box and yeah. we couldn't run around it. So so you're right. So maybe that is a good sort of trick is to trick them this this air raid and yep. and then kind of beat them on the ground. I think both running backs had over 140 yards apiece. So they still ran for like 300 yards. Yeah. So and they should have beat Buffalo the way they did. They just didn't look very good doing it, which is okay, right? You get 
you win and you have some stuff to you fix. You still beat him by a lot. Right. So, right. Yeah. It's always room for, for tinkering. That's right. Yeah, I hope air raid doesn't mean they're just going to hold their hands above their heads on the ground as they <laughs> right. get yeah. trounced yes. on. They can go by the be, bench. Yeah. And ah! Incoming. No. No. They're not going to do that. All right. What, what do you think of this weather? Goes from hot <laughs> to cold to... To possibly rainy next week. We'll yes. see what happens. Yeah, it's been... It's hard when it goes from like 90-whatever to 60. Right. Like in a... Like no day, yeah. Like shorts to sweatshirts in no time flat. And actually, today I think it's supposed to be warmer than yesterday even was. But the looking into next week, it's mostly sixties, yeah, which is back to normal. You know, maybe a yeah. little lower normal, obviously, but not yeah, not normal ish. Yes, yeah. I think it has made silage corn silage. Odd because you get this dry plus heat where certain areas, depending yeah. if your corn was really close to ready, it pushed it home. And then if it wasn't, it actually seemed to maybe help it because it kind of made that cob mature up a little bit better. You could find those sandy so, knobs yes. real easy yes. after last weekend. Yeah. It, it was all like soil moisture related. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, it was, it just made that a challenge but at the same time it wasn't fooling us like that you could you could see it you right. could really see what was ready so that was that was good yeah you get a little nervous when you're like walking into a field and all the cobs are like I, dipped down and then but then you get inside and it's like oh no that was just the outside just the spot yeah. right right like holy crap i hope the whole field's not like this but but yeah silage is coming and here for some people i know there's been a few choppers rolling in in a few areas especially to the south but uh, the big push isn't quite here in our area so but we may see some some starting pretty soon i know todd you've got some farms with some stuff that's getting close it's getting close but it's still like you say if we get rain next week it, it'll kind of change that you know if you get r- rain on the 11th 12th 13th then it'll kind of push us out a little bit too, which is fine. Just gotta, it's always a hard thing to be patient on. Yep. Because that chopper is a big machine that wants to go and your crew wants to go. It's hungry, and, Todd. It yes, it is. Well, and the, the trouble is, once you go, it's so hard to, to stop, stop, right? right? No, once that. Yep. And all the trucks and people and everything is a circus. All right, I'm but, that is, but that is not what we're talking about. Yes, today. I'm excited for this topic, man. <laughs> I'm like kind of. All right. Yeah, I am. I, I I think it's that like hidden thing that nobody talks about because nobody sees, and it causes way more problems than most other pests. Oh, and, absolutely. And other things. So this, this is a good one because I think we got to talk about it more because we, it's sort of that hidden yield robber that we. We we know it's down there as agronomists at times, but also don't. So, yeah, it's a good one, Bill. Right. Yeah, it's something you can't just look at a field and say, oh, yeah, that's definitely got this. So what do we got, Bill? So our hidden, our hidden lurking beast in the soil, the soybean cyst nematode. I looked back. We did an episode on this. It was episode 54. So I figured it was time maybe to circle back now that we're almost 150 episodes later. And always gets me thinking when the soybeans start to turn, like, oh, yeah, like, this is the time we need to be testing and thinking about it because seed, yes, seed selection is right around the corner, guys. Like, Yeah, your seed dealer's probably already knocking on your door. Right. And I, I just was reading an article that was great. It was basically, it was, and it was for seed salespeople, and it said, like, there is no more seed sales season Meaning it is always, always all the time, and I thought that was interesting because it's like, oh, it's right. It is. They don't like. Yeah, there isn't like. Okay, the combines are put away. Like, let's get out there and sell seed. Like back when you sold seed, Bill, it, you know, right? Yeah. It was October, November. Yeah. We you, did our like kickoff meetings in the field with all the different brands, like in late August, and then sure, like in with the plot. Yeah, type you of could city. see all the hybrids, and then the dealers would talk about each one or the the reps would talk about each one and then you'd get your fancy new seed guides and you'd get out there, but it wasn't 
like it is now where it's like. So you're saying they're practicing ABS, always be selling. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It, it's more of the ABC, always be closing. That's all those guys I think are putting. Yep. Like if you ain't selling the bags, now somebody else is. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And, always, and yeah. always be closing. That's the deep cut if you know what that's from. Right. But uh, why do you guys think this one, it, the, the hidden part of it, and I gotta, I think it's a pretty easy theory, but I always think this one never gets blamed for anything, and it's actually probably the cause of many oh, well, things. Yes, yes. You know, yeah, like yep. we blame, oh, there's a nutrient deficiency or a host of other things. And this, obviously, they're very small. They're hard to see with the naked eye, like not nearly impossible. but You can see them. But they're hard yeah, to see. Yeah, they are. And you got to know and, what you're looking for to right. see them because you could, oh, that's a smaller nodule or that's a piece of sand that's still connected. Right. Or, to, but yes. once you, it's like a, a spider mite. Like once you see that spider mite, True. you're yeah. like, you're, yep, there it is. But you have, or a leaf hopper, like it's so hard in the spring yeah. with our scouts, like training what a leaf hopper looks like because until you see one in the net, it's hard to, to explain. This and is the same. These are also hard because it's in the soil buried. Right. Which, trying to think of other pests like that, would be a corn rootworm. Yep. But a corn rootworm has a beetle form that comes out and you see it now flying yep. around your truck. And, you know, basically we see them and go, oh, yeah, okay, this is... Like, it, it's like well, a reminder even, of even that. Even their damage, when you know it's right. corn on corn for a number of years, you're going to... First thing you're going to think is corn right. rootworm. You see it lodging and you play. So, yeah. so like that one, where's this pest? Like, there's no form that flies out no. and you see it above ground. So, like, it is always a hidden problem that and it, is and it's not like down there lurking. Or even like a a worm you did. Like, it's a worm in the soil, but it's not like a cutworm or where you actually, oh, there that sucker is. Like, you can see it. I think the other thing, too, Todd, is normally... It's not like it just wipes a field out, right? Correct. Like yeah, it doesn't just correct. go, well, it does there's, damage, true. Yeah. there's herbicide damage or there's a nitrogen deficiency. Right. Where well, or like even let's talk like Japanese beetle. Like right now I'll get calls like, oh my God, I got this defoliation happening and it's Japanese beetle and soybeans and just most, I've never had to spray for them. So all the time just like, just ignore it. But all the attention that gets because of how it looks Versus what it's actually doing for damage is right. so different to this one that, like you say, it never never takes out a whole field. It's just spots. and Well, and like a lot of times, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but like it's in low areas, right, or field entrances. So you pull in the field or you've got a low spot, and you're like, this field hasn't had water standing all year. Why are the beans look so bad? And it's like, oh, you can see water standing, and you're like, yep. That's drown out right. spot because yeah. the water's been sitting there for three weeks. This ain't the same, you know, like it's been there for three years. You just, and you just never see it. So microscopic worm. Like this thing is the number one yield grabbing pest in soybeans. So like, that's the tricky part too. Like, like you just said, we haven't talked about it in a hundred and some episode. And yeah. it's the number one right. yield yeah. robbing pest. Like this is it. So that's also the sort of the weird part about it is it's it's almost like mythical in its nature as well. Like it's like the shingles just, virus. It's already in your <laughs> yes. soil. It's, it's already there. It's just ready to it's just waiting, waiting for the opportunity. And I think Todd, that's why I wanted to bring it up. I, right. Was 100%. Like, now's the time to test. So get out and test. Like yep. we we can do it any time, but now is probably the best time. Yes. And don't be doing it in your soybean field. I mean, you can do I, it in your soybean fields, right? But, the, but don't. I that Do it in the fields you want to put soybeans next right, year. Right, what's going to be. Right, 100%. I, that, to me, was the, one of the things I want to drive home is we have a test for it, but test fields. Like, in this time of year, you know what's going to be soybeans next year. Most of the time, you kind of know where they're going to be. And... You test them, and then you can decide then this winter what kind of mitigation practices you have to do. Is it how bad is it? Is it is it zeros? Is it a lot? And yeah, we'll get into testing more, you know, later. But I agree with you, Bill. That is something we'll have to drive home again later. Is testing it now is probably the easiest and and best time to do it because I think it does show what we got to do to to prevent it for the following year. How you how you go after it. 
the crazy part doing some research for the episode is that like these eggs they don't age like they sit in their little cyst and they just wait so you could have them there for lots and lots of years so you want to keep testing new eggs are produced all the time so in the soybean crop yeah so what so you're I think I've heard about 10 years they'll last yeah. in your soil. I mean, which is a long time. Well, it's a long time. For, yeah. a, for a, bo- you know, like, yeah. like to talk about root room before, those last a year. Right. Unless they're extended diapause, I guess. But but in general, this one is odd like that. And there are other plants that are hosts. So just, not just soybeans, there's other ones that, that are as well. So I think that's the important thing to think about is they're never... It's not like, oh, we'll just rotate one year because they hatched the year that it wasn't soybeans and we're good to go. It's like, nope, they wait for you. <laughs> they wait. They're for very you. patient. Yes. Um, yeah, the other host crops, that is an important thing to think about in um, beca- because sometimes that's good that the pest is, well, no. If it can lay eggs on it, it's not good, obviously. But a crop that it would make them like the eggs go quicker. Right. But, but anyway, um, I get where you're, but you really got to think of it more than like a weed bank scenario. Weed bank than, and uh, then cover crop. Like yeah. you got it. So basically, all kinds of beans are host crops, and like hairy vetch. There, there's just there's certain things that are host crops that that is just makes it kind of worse. I mean, right, right. So and then there's um, non-host would be like alfalfa, barley, corn. Clover, oat, pea, sorghum, wheat. So kind of a lot of our normal things are non-host. And then um, good hosts are soybean. I don't know what lespedenza is. I don't know. Maybe you guys know. Common mullen, henbit. So like those are kind Some of things weeds. that those are more weeds, right? But And then it's got poor host, which I don't know what that exactly would mean, but like mustards, common chickweed, hairy vetch, canola, red clover, sweet clover, ass-like clover are kind of poor hosts. Sounds like a lot of stuff we're using for cover crops. Potentially, right. Right. So it's, it's, I mean, they're less susceptible the way it reads, but I don't, this is from a Purdue article that I found that was tricky to know what that meant. You know, how does that, but like you say, it's something that we got to manage for. I think typically your legumes like that you're going to put before corn rather than beans anyway. Right. <clears throat> so you're doing some good there. Right. But the easiest way diagnosis is dig roots. Uh, Matt, you noticed in the notes I hear I put be gentle, which is true <laughs> yes. because be gentle with your roots. You want the whole root ball. You want the whole root mass. So don't go yanking. That's like the uh, uh, crop scouting 101. Right. Always have your shovel. Um, don't be yanking roots. You got to dig them, try to get as much soil off. If you don't have any water in the field, you know, just kind of break it off and shake it off as gently as you can. And if it's bad enough, I've had fields that guy planted 15 years on soybeans cause he just liked how easy soybeans grew and not as many bushels to harvest and just all the ease of things with soybeans. And they were just loaded. Like you couldn't miss them. Um, Above ground, it's hard because it looks like a lot of other stuff. You know, just yellowing, spindly beans just look like crap. It's like, well, what is that? A nutrient? Is that water? Is it is it dry? <laughs> you know, so it, it does. T- it is kind of hard that the above ground is a little bit harder to diagnose. But once you see it, and that was one thing. What I said before about one grower asked me, he's like, every low spot, the beans look like garbage. And it's been dry all summer. Why? It's not drying sure, this out. this would be, right. Yeah. This is the opposite of a year yeah, like that. right. So they kind of congregate in lower spots. You know, they attach to soil. And then if we do get a rain, it'll kind of move with the soil to the lower spots in a flooded area, maybe along a fence line. And then field entrances because you throw your tillage in the ground. You don't clean it off maybe as good as you should. You go to the next field. You plop it in the field entrance and... Everything that was there is not on your field cultivator anymore. It's left in the field right where you where you started. So that could be another spot to look. When you 
you and we'll get into that with testing as well, but that is also spots to know how you tested. Like if sometimes it is smart in this one to actually test the low spots yeah, and field right. entrances, like the opposite of nutrient testing. But so so that might be if you if you think you got a problem and you want to know how severe it is in those bad spots, that that's a way to just sort of test the bad spots. Um, like you say, they're just kind of the best spots to sample potentially. So I've al- I've also done it where you just kind of test around the field so we know what the whole field has. But if you want to know if it's there or not, you may not find it in the those better spots. It's going to be in different spots. I also think like pH does play a lot into this. Um, they seem to like high pHs in general, and in gen- that's a general, but it's. We don't have any of those around here. No, and that, that's a problem. <clears throat> or all I, of them. <laughs> right. And, and so far, like I did a lot of testing last fall and was shocked at certain farms that had zero and shocked at certain farms that had every field had it. So when you did your testing, did you just a generic through the whole field or did you go to those low spots? No, we did through the whole f- yeah. field. We did. We just kind of, um, yeah, it was just through the whole field for this particular way we did it. So we kind of wanted to see... What, yeah, just basically see what these farms had for a problem and kind of start diagnosing that if, if you know, if we had a yield robber there, if this was it or not. Because I think there's certain farms where, well, let's be real, we're hitting a, a 60 bushel yield ceiling. Yep. I mean, it's real yeah. and it's there. And this is one of the reasons why. And so trying to identify that, you know why we can't hit or and and maybe it's 60 or 70 is that ceiling i don't quite know where but it it feels like there's definitely a ceiling there that we just cannot get past so it's trying to identify those things and and this on certain growers this was definitely one of them that they would have hit 60 bushel but they and they granted they still hit safe in the 50s which is good but what would you have hit if you didn't have this problem or if we manage around it right and I forget where where it comes from, where I first heard it, but it was the idea that the best soybean ground is new that's never seen soybeans before or <laughs> 10 years, which makes sense with the, if the eggs can last 10, 10 years, years, why sure. why that benchmark is is a decade of without beans, because then hopefully all your soybean cysts have cycled through and it's like starting over. But yeah, that, I mean, if it can move on soil, I'm sure... Um, you know, anywhere there's water flow that soil is going to move, ability to set equipment, but animals too, birds could potentially move it or other animals that are dragging soil. I would think a badger or something like that that's going to move a lot of soil might potentially <coughs> Damn drag those kinds of things along. <laughs> Why are you blaming the badgers, man? Just saying, there's some science. We're in Wisconsin, yes. and we have badgers that dig I, in the soil. I think it's more the wolverine. The probably wolverine probably is yeah. moving it. Yes. Let's just blame otters. Yes. yes. A, I think it's a golden gopher, but <laughs> yeah. it's got to be golden. Okay, true. It's got to be golden, though. Not any gopher, just the golden one. Anyway. Uh, yes. I, we no. Anyhow. As, as we digress. Uh, so management, what do we do to manage soybeans this bill? A couple things. Um, resistant varieties. So when you're choosing varieties, look at your seed guide, talk to your seed rep about the couple of sources, the peaking, the PI, sources of resistance. And we want to rotate those too. You don't want to keep, if you've done it before and there's an opportunity to, to rotate those, I would suggest that as well. So resistant variety is probably the, that's a, just a management decision, right? Let's pick this one versus that one. Um, potentially not going to cost you anything more. Uh, crop rotation is an option. You know, getting bean, if it's really bad, getting it out of beans for several years is probably a good thing, which is, I think, partially, Todd, maybe why we don't think about it here, too, is the high years we have alfalfa, we, right? right? So we don't, we don't always right. think alfalfa, about, like, multiple oh, years we've been corn. Out, right, we've been three years corn, four years alfalfa, let's go to beans after the corn. But yep, we're still, they're still there, you know, so maybe that's some of it too, why we don't always think about it. Uh, and then I think what's changed a little bit, even since the last episode we did on this, was just the seed treatments that the, are available. Huge new thing. Yeah. Huge yeah. new thing. I, because... 
back then we just had these resistant varieties, really. I mean, rotation's been around forever. But the resistant varieties, and even that, I feel like, is becoming in more beans. And, that, and like, the peaking is newer than the PI resistance. So a lot of times Sue's just trying to get the, the peaking in there. Like, that one, it's not in as many varieties, and it's sort of harder to get in the ones we get. So kind of trying to watch that. But, but really, we just have that for the variety part. That, right. That's it. There's, there's not, not a lot of choices. Right. It's not like the, the rootworm where we have... Right, numerous different, different traded options. Yeah. So, like you say, Bill, then we get in these nemocide treatments, and these have really ballooned. I I think the first one I remember is uh, Votivo was one of kind of the earlier ones. My, that, fa- my favorite that, to Nema Strike. Nema Strike. I like the name. I don't. I'm not saying it's the best one or that has the best mode of action or anything, but the name wise, the like, marketing gotcha. marketing guys got that one on. Yep. Yeah, Nema Strike. It's like an airstrike for nematodes. That's right. But yeah, Votivo, Votivo's been out a while. Clariva, that one I think has been out a little while. Yep, Olivo has been, Olivo, been yeah. around. So those are kind of more of the popular ones, I think. Um, you know, Bear, Syngenna, obviously got a... a Can you, know, you still get nematodes? Remember they had to pull that because people were getting itchy skin? Yeah, they're... They're having There's issues that, out west with right, testing it. Yeah. With like a skin irritation, and I, I. But anyway, yeah, it should. So I guess that's that's a big development in the last couple of years. So when you're doing these seed decisions now, have that conversation. Hopefully, you've tested, you know, tested here in October when the beans come off, or even September when the corn comes off. Like we just said, you want to maybe focus on your corn ground now. That's corn, so that. That's going to beans. Um, so you have maybe those tests, and I know um, uh, the Soybean Growers Association offers four tests per soybean marketing board, I should say, offers four tests every grower. So you have free testing available. You just have to take the test, send it in, have your agronomist do it like we do, send it in. And I know the tests have been coming back faster. Like, I think they used to go to straight to UW, and it took a long time. Yeah, it used to take a long now, time. Now, if I remember results. right, it goes to Pest Pros. Pest Pros do it, yep. And talking to the within a week. Oh, they're lab. great. Pest Pros got... And they're a good lab to work with that way that they'll help you with any questions you got. And they're... Um, I In a way, too, this is such an underutilized resource, these free samples. So the more we can get done out there, the better. And like you say, they're... They're free, so why not? And yeah, I the the shipping isn't that crazy. the The taking them isn't that hard. It's not like it's a a thing that you got to get on ice or freeze or anything like that. Um, he, Probably don't want to leave them in the sun. No, and talking how there is a difference when they're looking for like a dormant egg versus a normal egg. And I'm speaking from talking to. Um, mad at that lab and him telling me like there's there's somewhat of a difference that way like if the soil was frozen for a little while when you take it it's a little different so there's some things they got to do at the lab that are a little different but in general it's a pretty straightforward test for them that they're pretty easy you know well, hopefully we won't be sampling frozen soil anytime soon no more so like say the fr- soil does like get cold and these yeah. go dormant then it's a little different but but in but in general that's they're a they're a very easy, straightforward test to take, and yeah, you get free ones, so why not use those for sure? And then if you got a few more fields that you're in question, you could you know pay for some of those samples. But um, that, like you say, it's your checkoff dollars. It's not like as a soybean grower, you already, you already paid, paid for these yeah. tests with your checkoff right. dollars. So yep. the cool part too is the sampling, doing the actual sample really isn't much different than no normal soil sample. It's Six to eight inches cores, just a you know, we do a seven inch core for a soil. You gotta take a few more to fill up the bag a little bit more, but you know, it's it's pretty much just keep it cool, like I said. I and that means like don't put it on the hood, don't put it on the dashboard, keep it you know, when you're done with it, maybe just put it in a cool spot. Last weekend would not have been the ideal time to sample. No, no. And each year they seem to be bringing this back, which is great. You know, it's just there's an announcement from this April, you know, that it's back. And 
kind of can sample at any time. I know there's times where we sampled in like knee high corn for the following year beans. Sure. But this year that didn't seem to work out. So we're going to do it now in the corn, but for next year's beans. And yeah, I think it is a good way to do it to, to kind of, I, I prefer to do it in corn going to beans way more than anytime I've done it after beans to try to see if they were there. It's like, you can just dig the beans and look. Right. Yeah. Why test? You know, and obviously you got to the beans got to be there to look. But the then you're like, oh, okay, two years from now or three years from now, and it's beans again. Right. It's not like you know, you're doing anything now about right. what's happening in that field, and it's going to be a while before. Right. Yeah. And I think when these first came out, and this goes Conley's idea. This is really Sean Conley's idea to test corn for the following year beans, and I think that makes a whole lot of sense because you're you can actually do something about it then. And so the way the tests come back, it tells you kind of a rate, you know, a zero if there's no detects and then a rating amount of how much is there. So you can kind of use that to decide as well. Like, well, okay, I got a little bit there. I'll just pick a resistant variety or, or if you got like a moderate population, maybe I should pick a resistant variety and use a, a nemicide. And then if it's very high, then it's just, you probably should rotate, you know, not plant beans there that following year. The cool part is it it really spells it out for you, right? The, it's not like it gives you a number and then you're like, well, what the heck does this mean? It it gives you an idea exactly what that number means. The other cool part about it, it will also tell you what some other nematodes that are there. So there's some corn nematodes that'll tell you if are there. So you can obviously see that in in that corn crop was there a reason why it was a little poor. And it, it tells you more that it's not just a soybean cyst nematode test, which is really neat. It's kind of tells you other nematodes. It tells you other things that make it even more valuable to the grower. Do you know if other states have this? I don't know that if no it's idea. just exclusive to Wisconsin or if it's kind of a a full out thing. But I know Iowa soybean group is pretty progressive. So I'm sure they have it and some of the other ones, but. But there, too, for the cost of the test, it'd be worth just paying for the test, too, if you had to, to, to yeah. know that you got this out there. Yeah, it's not like you're pulling 30 tests. Or not right. like regular soil sampling where you're no. pulling 30 samples in a field. It's more just a composite type. So it's easy to do, easy to send in. Free SCN test at mailplus.wisc.edu. That's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. I don't know why it's mail plus at whisk.edu, but that seems not, not just the regular Matt, mail. You're just sending some spam or hey, something. Hey, I didn't put the link in here, so talk to Bill. That's what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, it's basically like a couple like a four page report that you get back. So yeah, and it it. Like Bill said, it kind of lays it out for you really nice of risk ratings and management options. So and a lot of stuff is what we discussed. Have you seen, Bill, any of these nemocides work better than others or any ones that you like? I haven't actually looked too deeply into that. No, and no, I, I, they're, for, for me, it's almost like they're too new that we haven't been able to do that. But And I know I you think, and I, Todd, have two growers that buy beans together that that kind of we tested last year and you know we did that this year so we'll be curious to see how that goes once the combines roll through and i'll probably end up taking his cornfields again this year that that are going to beans what's interesting with some of these treatments is you can do them in other crops like some of them are only soybean but votivo's cotton corn and soybean this inhibit is everything it says all crops so i mean you could be attacking them not just when in your soybean years but other years too to try to help reduce populations it, it is a conversation because depending on where you buy your seed they're going to have their own right like true nemco isn't on this list and so there's some other ones that that you're going to have to ask about and from what i could find nema strike is not back on the market yet so some of these two you know are they're brand new, kind of trying to see which ones fit and which ones work better. And it, it does seem like a lot of this now, it's just a seed treatment that you're going to order with your seed. And it's 
hard too because there's certain you can't just do you know you got to do if you're getting it in boxes it's all you know all the units are going to get treated so we've done it we're trying to pick certain varieties are going to be treated certain varieties not or you know one box of this variety is going to be treated one box not and managing around it but it's good that we have this as an option so i i kind of going forward i feel like this is something like we just we 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 talked to the earlier episode it's kind of this hidden yield robber and i feel like it's now that we have treatments we have resistant varieties whereas the reason part of it was hidden before is we didn't have a lot to do besides yeah. rotate right right where now we have these options that we got to use as growers you know kind of test for it and then put these options out there where where you find the the nematodes it should be in the forefront of your mind when you're looking at the seed guide and you're talking to your agronomist and your seed salesman like talk about it decide be proactive with your samples right don't be like oh do we have it or not yeah somewhere you probably have it yeah no reason not to get four free tests right it's like you said todd you've already paid for them right so. yes <laughs> that, that is lively yeah you get four free tests that are paid for by the soybean marketing board that Which you, you your checkoff dollars go to. So it's like the, when the cell phones used to come out and it was yep. hundred free minutes for nineteen ninety nine. You're still paying for the minutes. Yep. Still nineteen ninety nine. All right. I had, a, I had a buddy that was always trying to, <laughs> but it's free. No, you paid nineteen ninety nine. It's no free lunch. So there you go. There's soybean cyst nematode, the hidden unseen threat to your soybeans that you can test for, treat for. And they have options, even just rotating will do something for you. So keep that in mind as you plan for next year's soybean crop. Now we'll move into our spotlight for today. Root-activated phosphate fertilizer. Sounds kind of different. A company called Crystal Green from Ostara has retailers and farmers that rethinking entrenched beliefs about phosphates. They're the only game in town. Nothing else is like Crystal Green, according to Ron Restum, the chief commercial officer from Ostara. He gave the analogy that crops don't eat nutrients, they drink them. Therefore, this is meant to be a solution rather than a uh, solid fertilizer, whereas... Most are relying on water solubility. This particular product delivers relying on organic acid solubility or solubility. So it's not just something you suspend in water. It is requiring organic acid in the soil to release, and that means it'll release when the plant needs the phosphorus. At least that's where Crystal Green is coming from in their sales pitch. So they say they can be more efficient than conventional phosphate fertilizers, and they're continually conducting research to quantify exactly how much more efficient they are than conventional products. So based on their recommendations, growers should see a similar price per acre, and a retailer would see a similar price per ton when factoring in yield gain, reduced rates, and the environmental pluses. So it's not that it costs exactly the same as map or dap, but it is manufactured to the same standards. And as far as ROI, they're saying it should be cost effective. Todd, I saw you laugh. When, I, no, when I read like, that part. That's yeah, just tricky because yeah. like your mind goes, "Oh, it's the cost the same." No, it costs way more, but it's saying right. You're, it's it's you're the amount of phosphorus similar to the biological is. stuff, right? Like no, the, when the, it'll pay for itself type thing and. Um, it is an interesting idea and uh, draws less it, moisture, doesn't get crusty, according to... It is cool we're getting to this, like, not our dad's fertilizer kind of thing or not your grandpa's fertilizer. We're more biologicals, more, you know, things that are paired with fertilizer. You're not just chucking old school map or dap out there. It's got something there that kind of makes it better more efficient all that's good so yeah interesting that that they did did they talk about kind of what what did it like if it is a biological or what the active is or not i nope, did not find that it's still because they said it's manufactured to the same standard i thought they said something about it it is um it's 
low salt. I'm trying to find sure. where I saw it. Because um, they're, they're, it's produced at a 30,000 ton granular fertilizer facility in Florida. And they have a p- new plant in St. Louis, too, that they're making it. So it sounds like it is still like a mined phosphorus type product okay. they're just changing just doing something different to something it, yes. to it whether it's a i don't know if it's a coating necessarily it doesn't really specify what what makes the crystal green that different but i i assume it's still got to have some sort of mine phosphate yeah. component a lot of these two are yeah are these this enhanced efficiency so they're changing in a way to make it yeah it is it does say it's um 5280 with a 10% manganese <laughs> or magnesium sorry so so it would be a little less potent than your maps and daps, but also has less nitrogen with it. Yeah, all right. Let's move into our egg history minute. So there's only one first one. The rest are just copies. And according to Danny Anderson, his 1086 is that tractor. Not only is it the first 1086 to ever roll out of Rock Island, Illinois, it's the first ever 86 series tractor ever built. On this past Tuesday, September 5th, it was up for auction. And you could own a piece of history. So, who is Danny Anderson? He's a got a first job out of high school, turning wrenches at an IH dealership in Iowa, and he was the last IH employee to work on the first 1066 ever built. It was Danny's neighbor's tractor, and he gave it a once-over before it went across the auction block for nearly two decades. Danny worked for Red Dealers in Iowa and Minnesota before he settled in Pine Island, which is just north of Rochester. 1997, he bought an Archicat dealership, but never lost love of Red Tractors. So he's figured he has restored about 435 tractors with his Dirt Boys Proving Grounds company. And he's done it for people all over the world. Lots of fairly standard stuff, but he's restored restored some pretty cool pieces of agricultural history. A couple that were also on auction with this 1086. So the 1086 was the first 86 series ever built, as I mentioned before. And the 86 series tractors haven't been as fondly remembered as the 66s, but they are um, a noticeable tractor. there's still a few around today. I, I know there's one for sale in our area right now that I've seen. Dude, the bill the 1086 is just a just a beast the, of a tractor. The classic. They are. Oh, it is like even just the, like you think of an old body style. Like John Deere guys, they got their their forty uh, twenties and all that. But the red guys, it, like this one, is one of them that hits that button. Yep. The the 1086 blows me. That's interesting. That's the first one because most people go to the 1486 or. A, or even the 1066 with no yep. cab. But this one, what what is neat to me is, like, the tractor-wise, like, power to the blower and a lot of that stuff was always really good. The biggest negative was the cab yep. and the stairs to get in. Mm-hmm. Like, I've it's known... Oh, yeah. And, and literally, we... And it was on a 2 plus 2, I guess. So it wasn't on this tractor, but that same cab knew a farmer fell off and got his leg ran over by that tractor. Like... Yeah, that that was like the biggest downside was the door sucks, the ladder sucks, the cab, like the seat. If you were driving, was great, but if you're a ten year old kid riding, you were in up, the you're, you're up in up. that like padded area yeah. in the back, and hope the window in the back right wasn't open was like, and you just keep and it was comfortable, but yeah, you just had to keep your head from knocking against that window. So it was just a weird cab that way that like there is no there's room for one person and. Maybe a small child can un- uncomfortably just, sit in there. At least the open station, you can sit on the fender, but cabs, <laughs> yeah. Even safer. I just remember it shifted terribly, too. Like You just ground that baby. Just getting it in gear was so hard. Yep, yep. But No, it, it like you say, it was shifting tough, but it still was. For, 
for its time, it was ahead of its time. And then you had the John Deere, you know, like the 4620 series were right in the same area with that kind of rounded cab in front. And those two were ahead of its time. And you, you rival them, they're pretty close. I mean, that John Deere, the cab was much nicer, but it had other things that this, the 1086 didn't. What also blows me is like still in tractor pulling, like yeah. that series tractor is one of the better you know, ones to modify to make pretty, you know, to make a, it was light for its, it just seems like pulling guys say it was a good tractor. Too. I don't think Todd, I've thought about sitting on that padded area. Oh man. Behind the seat, next to the seat, like up, like in 35 years, like <laughs> and, literally like that takes me back. Like I can still like chopping corn, right. Sitting there with uncle Carl and just chopping corn. Like I was always on like tillage and just remember th- like just, prayed that each field wouldn't be rough because you'd just bounce so bad otherwise and you'd have to like yeah you'd don't th- fall asleep because you're gonna whack your head every time especially now you see like when you when there's a kid in with with a farmer and a tractor there a lot of times they're sleeping in the corner they got a nice you know buddy seat to sit yeah. in and it's like this was no you could not sleep in there because you'd be jostled around and and stuff but yeah well it at least was padded i guess that was good yeah. but yeah i was trying to see if could find out how much it's sold for, but I don't don't see anything there. But hopefully, whoever owns it will enjoy their. Guess what the original ever. was sold for? Original price nineteen eighty one list price for a ten eighty six. Five grand. No, way low. Like way but low. yeah, twenty five. Thirty five thousand seven hundred. Thirty five price. Yeah, I wouldn't have known how to guess that either. But yes, I figured it was in the. Less than a hundred thousand, but I wasn't sure what end of the spectrum. So yeah, and there's forty-seven thousand four hundred and twenty ever built. Ten eighty-sixes. Yep. Which the ten sixty-six. There's fifty-four thousand built of those, and so yeah, you kind of kind of were close rivals there. All right, that'll do it for the Ag History Minute. All right. Thank you, Matt. And thank you to all our listeners out there. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend. All you need to do is search Tilt Talk Radio and Apple Podcasts or on Android. You go to Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM are all good apps to use on your phone to download Tilt Talk Radio. You can also listen on your computer or smartphone browser. Just go to tiltagcom slash podcast. We're also available on Amazon Music, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. All right. Thanks, Todd. Now we'll get into our cool beans. That's corny with some current events. So cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Our cool beans this week. And Illinois FFA or Illinois FFA chapters are eligible for $1,000 mental health grants. So there's often a stigma surrounding mental health and farming communities coupled with access Challenges to mental health care, it's a significant issue that state leaders hope to change. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker and other state leaders have made the announcement at the Farm Progress Show in Decatur that the FFA groups will now be eligible for $1,000 grants to fund mental health programs in schools and rural communities. Up to 20 grants will be available from the Illinois FFA Foundation beginning this fall in partnership with the Illinois University School of Medicine. The announcement follows... The Pritzker administration's support of farmers, including paying FFA membership dues for every student enrolled in agriculture classes, declaring that participation in agriculture events qualifies as excused absence for 4-H and FFA members, relaunching homegrown heroes, and providing cover crop adoption funding through the Fall Covers for Spring Savings Program. So a number of different programs there available in Illinois, and as I said, the program will fund up to 20 grants at $1,000 each. And all FFA chapters in Illinois are eligible to apply for the grant, and grant applications will be available from Illinois FFA Foundation starting fall 2023. So mental health is something we don't all talk about all the time and can be kind of a confusing topic, but it's good to see that it's being addressed and especially for farmers and rural communities where it can hit hard. Yeah, this is good that, because like it says here, there is a stigma surrounding it. 
especially in agriculture, it seems to even have more of that stigma to it. So give a lot of shout out here to Illinois FFA Foundation for kind of starting this out. And hopefully more states and more FFA chapters or foundations will follow because it is something that would be great to get, you know, kind of pushed out there and kind of put out in the forefront. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it is, that's good. All right. Our That's Corny this week. After record-breaking Labor Day heat, the humidity is going to stick in the area uh, for Appleton, Green Bay. Earlier this week, we still saw some humid weather, uh, reached some a record high somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, on Labor Day, Appleton was at 93, Green Bay 91. These temperatures exceeded the September 4th records set in 1925 and 1937, respectively. So the near-record heat uh, really, like we said earlier, drove some fields to really start showing those dry areas. And with that humidity, we got a little bit of rain earlier this week and might see some more rain in the future. So it's been a kind of a crazy weather pattern. I feel like every time we talk about the weather, it's the, the highs and lows are just very distinct and we went from 90 to 60 to maybe we'll go to 90 again yet this month who knows it's hard to say yeah well it was it wasn't unbearable it was hot but it was a different than like a true august or july heat but yeah just to break records is is kind of that's corny i mean we needed the heat but corn doesn't like it that hot either so right it's it was it was hot excess heat yes Unused, unused potential, Sam. All right. Wrap things up here with our Field Good Friday. So Wenzel Farms set a Guinness World Record with a 314-foot meat snack stick. In Marshfield, Wenzel Farms has made it into the Guinness Book of World Records by making their world's longest meat snack stick. The single continuous snack stick was 314 feet long. Employees, family, friends, community members, and vendor partners were at Wenzel's Park in Marshfield on Saturday to help with the celebration and enjoyed a piece of the snack stick once the record was confirmed by Guinness World Records adjudicator. So they partnered with Devro, a South Carolina-based company that manufactures collagen casings and films to create a casing long enough and strong enough to withstand the record-setting attempt. So, it's a big stick. That is a big stick. That's a big beef stick. Does yeah, this, that's does awesome. Seymour still hold the hamburger record or not? I don't. It's know. been a while since they did a big one. I was curious if there is there any traction to do another. I feel like they don't, but world's largest beef stick. And they get a piece of the beef stick to eat it. That'd be world's largest hamburger was um, in Pilsting, Germany. July 9th, 2017. Step your game up, Seymour. Let's go. <laughs> or take your signs down. Well, that is in Germany. So, I mean, we could still have the America's largest burger. There you go. But yeah, it was 2,566 pounds and nine ounces. But we got the biggest meat sticks. Does it give the... Like the weight of the meat stick at all, or the did not have a weight. No. Okay, like it, that is cool, but like even to get the casing to work and to like right three hundred and fourteen feet. Is like the, you wonder if you got so far and then just broke it's off. A foot, like, football field worth of meat of stick. Beef stick. And what if it broke off? Like then you lose, right? Like it, right. it's not a stick anymore. It's two they, sticks. They got it like coiled around. A, yeah, like a big, almost like a reel of. It looks like it would be like a reel of cord or something like that. It's pretty cool how they put that beef stick on there. And in the bag you got, like it says, it's a, a piece of history. So that's kind of cool too. One of our kids, yeah, one of one of our kids is nicknamed beef stick because he'll just go and <laughs> eat beef sticks. Eat beef sticks and like, yeah, I didn't know they were celebrating this or we would have definitely oh, you <laughs> taken him out him there. Yeah, he would have been pumped. Well, if he ever grows to 314 feet, then yes, maybe then. he can be the world's largest beef stick. <laughs> or 315, I guess. He'll have to be a little bit bigger. 
Yeah, and they got it like strung out like on tables all the way down. That's kind of cool too. It's not a yeah. It's not real thick or nothing. It's kind of your normal, which you wouldn't. Yeah, think you you, could. I don't think you'd want. Yeah, like no, you're a, just going for a the ten inch there. diameter, right. three hundred fourteen foot beef <laughs> right. stick. That's right. it's probably not a stick anymore. Right, that's more of a log, log. at that point. All right, well that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked soybean cyst nematode and what you can do to plan, test, and treat your soybean fields or non-soybean fields. In our spotlight, we looked at root-activated phosphate fertilizer, not phosphate. Ag History Minute, we talked about the story of the first IH-1086. Cool Beans this week was Illinois FFA chapters eligible for $1,000 mental health grants. Our That's Corny was after the record-breaking heat, we still had humidity here in northeast Wisconsin. Field Good Friday was Wenzel Farms setting a Guinness World Record with a 314-foot meat snack stick. Thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.